Well, I'd invite you, if you would, to turn with me once again uh, to the book of Ephesians. To the book of Ephesians, this will be our fourth and final week for now. In the book of Ephesians, we've been here, those of you who have been listening in uh, for these past weeks, we've been here for the last four weeks. And uh, we've been here in this book, uh, the book of Ephesians, because we are living in challenging and divided times. And so Paul's words written way back in the first century uh, have been instructive for us in the here and now, in dealing with one another and in seeking to, in the church, maintain unity in the body of Christ. And I thought uh, at the beginning of this week that maybe it was time to leave this little mini-series uh, alone and, and move on to something else. But as I thought and as I looked ahead, uh, I decided to spend one more week here and in doing so to end and to wrap up this little mini-series in the way that Paul chose to wrap up his letter with the word finally. Right, that's what begins our passage this morning. That's what wraps up this letter. This is the overarching reality that Paul wanted to leave his, his readers, his hearers with. After all the practicality of what he said in regards to their relationships with one another, he says, finally. And it's a subject that we have spoken about here before at APC we talked about it briefly from another angle in the book of Joshua, talked about it in the study of Daniel, in our study of Acts, in our study most recently of First Peter. We even spent some time in discipleship hour wrestling with this concept. But even with all of that, I'm convinced that we need to be reminded of these things. That this is not overly redundant because we too easily lose sight and act as if this isn't reality. And the subject is this. It's the reality that despite the sin in our own hearts, which we've confessed and acknowledged, despite the sin around us in our world and the wickedness that we see, despite the, just the brokenness of our world, there is more to this life, there is more to this struggle than we can see. You know, one of my favorite words to describe this is that we live in an enchanted world. That our battles as Paul says, are not merely flesh and blood, but we are in a spiritual war, war. We are in a cosmic conflict. And I know, I, I know that intellectually you know this. I know most of you. But let me ask you something. In all that you've experienced in the past months, in the, in the frustration and the fear about COVID-19 and the anger and lament uh, about uh, racial injustice, through the horror of the violence that you've seen and witnessed on television, the resulting relational tensions that you've had with those around you, with family members and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, did it ever occur to you that Satan and his 
followers whom the scriptures teach are active in our world today, that they are having a field day in 2020? Did that thought ever enter your mind? The fact that all the fire and the smoke and the yelling and the rioting and the death and the misunderstandings between us and the tensions between us and especially when sons and daughters of God are at each other. That he loves that? Have you ever thought that? And then secondarily, have you ever included then in your prayers Deliver me from the evil one. Give me grace, God, to stand firm against his schemes, to recognize what he's doing that I might resist, that he might flee from me. Now at this point, talking to Reformed Presbyterians, you cue the Reformed Presbyterian eye roll, right? We're intellectuals. We like systematizing things. This makes us a little bit uncomfortable. There's too much mystery here. I'm with you. But that's why we need to be here this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, just three verses, four verses, starting at verse 10 with the word finally. Listen as I read. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. What are the movies? What are the movies? Star Wars, Harry Potter, The X Men, Doctor Strange, Twilight, Superman, The Lord of the Rings. I could go on and on. What do all those movies have in common? Well, among other things, they all recognize and they all depict. A world that is bigger than the world that we merely see. You see, we, all of us, all creatures, all humanity, we, we love this. We, we long for this, for something outside of us, for something outside of what we can see. And yet, doggone it, we are modern people. We are educated, we are rational, we are enlightened people. We live in an age of information, we live in an age of science, we live in an age of hard facts based on research. 
And ours is a, is a materialistic world of flesh and bone in which the supernatural and the spiritual, yeah, that's cool, and that's the stuff of movies, but, but that's not real, right? Well, God's word reminds us what I want us to set our hearts on for just a few minutes this morning is that in the midst of a world like we're the world we're living in now, like a world that we've never experienced before any of us. There are three simple realities in this current cultural climate that we need to consider, that we need to set our minds on, that we need to remind our hearts of. And I don't wanna go beyond what the Bible says. This is not Nathan uh, Hitchcock uh, speculating and, and going off into some flights of fancy and exaggerations and speculations. No, I wanna stick to what God's word says through three simple truths. And the first one is this. You have an enemy. You have an enemy. And it's not liberals or conservatives. It's not BLM, CNN, or Fox News. It's not COVID-19 or Inslee or Trump. It's not North Korea or Iran. He's much deadlier. He's much more destructive. And he has a name. His name is Satan. You see, what God's word does for us in these, in these verses is he lifts the veil of our human experience to give us a glimpse, as he does in other places, and we're gonna go there, we're gonna look at all the places where this is uh, talked about. He gives us a glimpse of the reality of the spiritual and it's not disconnected from the horizontal everyday life. Paul has been talking about that. For verses upon verses, we skipped a lot of it, but we covered some of it as well when we talked about our relationship to one another and the unity and the slow and deliberate walk. But he warns that in all of that, there is a being, a real being, with followers that seeks to undo and undermine all that the gospel of Jesus Christ wants to accomplish in the life of his people and in this earth. And so much to the world's unbelief and disdain, the clear teaching of scripture is that we have an enemy and that such a being exists. Remember, it was, it was Satan who brought about the fall of mankind using the malleable hearts and affections of, of Adam and Eve. He successfully plunged them and all of us into sin. That's not a fairy tale. That's not a children's story. It was Satan who summoned all his powers and met Jesus when Jesus became flesh and was on earth trying to tempt the Son of Man, the Son of God, to fail in all that he came to earth to do. And Jesus resisted. How about this? It was Satan who entered Judas. John 13, 27 says, as Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, Satan was present and entered Judas, twisting his allegiance 
to Jesus. And it's Satan today that continues to blind people to the reality of the gospel, keeping them occupied with other things. The Bible makes it clear, you have an enemy. And I wanna highlight just three three words from, from the text, from this passage, from these verses that describe him. The three words are powerful, evil, and scheming. First of all, your enemy is powerful. This is important because it determines how you ought to stand against him, how you ought to fight him. Satan is real, but he is supernatural, and therefore, he's out of your league, frankly. See, our text describes some sort of of hierarchy within the spiritual realms, within Satan's legions himself. Rulers, authorities, and and powers. This is not some ragtag bunch of outlaws, but this is in some way, in some manner, an organized army against the people of God, against God himself. And so you need to know that your enemy is powerful, and therefore you don't underestimate him, and yet you don't overestimate him either because the Bible teaches us that he is not all-powerful. He does not know everything. He cannot be everywhere at once. Those traits belong to God alone. The one who not only created Satan, but who holds them in his hand. So yes, he's powerful. But secondly, he is evil. Our text says he is evil. Many have likened the reality of of Satan's activity in the world, of his followers' activity in the world to to that of post-war pockets of, of warfare. They have heard, or maybe they haven't heard, that the victory has been won and yet their mission is simply to, to wreak havoc, to do all that they can to just screw things up or, or maybe even try to reverse the outcome that they have heard happen long ago. You see, there are no boundaries with the evil one, except those imposed by the Lord in his darkened state. He will do whatever is necessary, whatever is possible to accomplish his wickedness. And this is why John in Revelation 9 calls him the destroyer. There's no rules of engagement with Satan. There's no Geneva Convention with Satan. We read in 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. So he is powerful, he is evil, and then finally from our text, he is cunning. And this is maybe the, important, uh, the, the most important of the three descriptors that Paul gives here in Ephesians chapter six. He, he schemes. He, he's not an in-your-face kind of enemy. Satan, Satan is a terrorist. He's that clean cut man or woman who who gets on a bus or on a plane and and underneath their clothing, they're wrapped in explosives. On the outside, they look fine. They look harmless, even attractive. And yet they're deadly 
deadly scheme. He is the one who twists words of encouragement from your spouse so that they're heard by you as words of accusation. And I say that statement because this happened to Anna and I just the other day as we were walking. Something that she said, the way that she said it, it was meant to be words of encouragement to me and it came into my heart and it came into my head as accusation, as the opposite manner in which she attended and we both stopped and we had to ask ourselves, what, what just happened? What went on here? Something else was at play and so we stopped and we prayed and we took it to the Lord. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So first, simple reminder, you have an enemy. He's real. But secondly, you are in a war. So it's one thing to say you have enemies. The United States has lots of enemies, but we're not in an active war with any of those enemies. But for the Christian, We have an enemy, and this is not a time of peace. This is a time to to put on armor. This is a time to wrestle with the enemy. I mean, the tone of Paul's words here in Ephesians chapter 6 are a call to arms. Certainly, we can go to an extreme of thinking about the church militant, and at times that's happened. But the call of this passage is, is unmistakable, and the metaphors of the Bible and the metaphor that, this is, that, that is used here is thoroughly biblical. Let me read a couple passages. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. 2 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. 2 Timothy 2.3 and 4, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. See, the war that you have is, the war that you are in is, is inescapable. Your enemy is clearly defined and the battlefield is our lives. In a myriad of ways, Satan takes the strains in our lives and and plants seeds of, of doubt and despair. He capitalizes on our sinful tendencies and puts temptation in front of us. He leads us to anger. He leads us to arrogance. And I could go on and on and on. And so what do we do? What effect should this teaching have on us? And that leads us to the third and final point this morning. You have an enemy, you are at war, and number three, you can't fight alone. You can't fight alone. The last great truth from these verses is that though we have a powerful, evil, and cunning enemy who rages ruthless war in our lives, that's the first step of engagement, to recognize that fact. 
But then we acknowledge that we, we can't fight him alone. And this is why Paul makes it a point to state, be strong in the Lord. Put on the strength of his might. Put on the armor of God. If we think we can handle all of the brokenness, all of the wickedness on our own, we've underestimated our, our enemy. Because ultimately, the battle is the Lord's. And our weapons are not of this world. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, our weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We just read that. That is hope. That is why in our battles, we take up the armor of God outlined in Ephesians chapter 6. Why the saints in Revelation 12 are commended as conquering by the blood of the Lamb. And so we pierce this present darkness with the word of God, with prayer, with the authority of the cross of Jesus Christ behind us. And to the world, their foolishness, but to us who believe, they are the power of God. The Lord Jesus promised that he, by his spirit, would be with us to the end of the age. And that same power, that same spirit is with us as we stand, as we resist the schemes of the evil one. And the, the result of this war, the outcome is, is no mystery. We're confident that victory is ours. Colossians 2.15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Here's the bottom line, brothers and sisters. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I wanted to set our hearts here, not because I, I want you this week to be looking for a demon around every corner or a demon in every disagreement. No, that's not, that's not my intent. But my intent is, and I think God's, word intent, God's word's intent is, and certainly Paul, who ended with these words, is to, in all of this, in this season of, of dark and oppressive and discouraging times, it's good for us to recognize that this is not just about politics. This is not just about differing ideologies. This is not even just about the stirrings of sinful hearts of men and women and, and the wickedness that we see. There is something spiritual going on here. There is something evil going on around us. It is unseen. It is, it is cosmic. And yet, we need not fear. Because we have been given the tools, we have been given the power, and we have the victory to stand firm. As we recognize these things, and as we call out to the one 
who accomplished that victory for us. And so my prayer this morning is simply, as we kind of leave and and wrap up this little diversion that we've been on for the last four months, is that in the midst of all the calls for, for unity, in the midst of all the prayers about the times that we're in, that we might know that yes, our enemy is active, but that we might prayerfully resist his schemes as agents of light, as sons and daughters of the one whose heel was bruised and yet he crushed the serpent's head. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the victory that is ours in Jesus. The seed of the woman whom you promised all the way back in in Genesis 3 when Satan first showed his evil face and plunged humanity into sin and into rebellion. Father, you have been faithful to your promises. You have sent the one who conquered death, the one who resides with us, the one who has, stand, who has stood and, and fought, and it's in him that we stand, clothed in Jesus that we stand firm. And so, Father, as we think about the realities around us that we can't see, we, we don't fear. No, we are emboldened because of what we know to be true. Use us. Use us to continue to, to cut through the darkness with the light of Christ and the light of the gospel. Father, that the end result will be We know what the end result will be as Jesus comes back again robed in light and in glory and every knee bows and every tongue confesses that he is Lord. So Father, give us that grace we pray in his great name, amen.